from the Parent Nation studios, it's Parent Nation with Tara Kennedy Klein. The Internet's top talk radio show featuring real talk for real parents, shaken and stirred up with a twist from America's family advocate, Tara Kennedy Klein. Yeah, well, I got a newsflash for you, folks. The problem with kids is parents. Excuse me, Cheryl Sandberg, but I'm not leaning in anymore. I'm sick of spilling my martini. (laughs) I'm serious. It's time to put the F word back in parenting. Fun parenting. Oh, my gosh. Why can't we do this? Why can't we have dance parties in our kitchens? I don't understand. And now, here's your host, Tara Kennedy Clive. Hey, Parent Nation. Welcome to the show. It's we. It's a birthday month. It's Kelly's birthday today. Woohoo! <laughs> Woohoo! Happy birthday, Kelly. Thank you're you what, so like, much. You're like 28. Yes, yes. <laughs> Got a problem with that? Not at all. No. Jealous uh-uh. much? Jealous no. much? Okay. No. Jelly. Don't be jelly. <laughs> Don't you love when kids say that? Yeah. say that all the time today. <laughs> uh, all right. So, how has your week been? It's been good. It's been good. We, um, a friend of mine took my daughter and her daughter to Tucson on Sunday so they could see a concert. That's fun. Who'd they so, go see? Um, well, it's one of their YouTubers that they love, and her name is Miranda Sings. Yeah. She's funny. She's pretty yeah. funny. The, the two of them go around and talk like her all the time, and it cracks me up. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've really been getting into YouTube lately. I know. I, I know. It's it, it's kind of an addiction. So I I spent most of my time on email, you know, back in the day when that was the thing. Mm-hmm. I would spend most of my time on email. That was my time suck. And then I got into social media with... Um, it wasn't the Facebook. It was the other one. MySpace? MySpace. Yeah, I was all into MySpace and LinkedIn. I spent all my time on those. Then it was Facebook, and now it's YouTube and Vines, like watching yes. Vines. I love Vines because they're only six seconds long. <laughs> <laughs> so they pack as much funny or um, like special effects or whatever into those six seconds and right. they just crack me up. So that's kind of how my kids and I make each other laugh. <laughs> so I, I absolutely love that. Like if we're having a hard time or whatever, that's how my kids and I make, make each other laugh, which is pretty cool. And um, I, I just got noticed. We're not going to tell Parent Nation who it is yet, Kelly. But okay. yesterday I just got a confirmation from two of the most amazing guests ever, not like the guests that we have on today are amazing, but these are like, like personal, I'm like a screaming fan. Mm-hmm. And so what I was thinking of doing Kelly is putting out like little hints and, and, and like, you know what I mean? Right. To see if they can guess, to see if, if parent nation can guess who it's going to be. So this oh, is going to be fun. So yeah. we'll have to talk offline, Shh, not in front of the kids. Don't okay. talk about Shh. it in front of the kids. We don't want them to know. It's like Christmas presents. Spell it out. Spell it out. Right. Oh, okay. Well, they can spell. <laughs> <laughs> so my kids started school yesterday. Yeah, well, uh, join the club. We've been in at least in five weeks. We're in our fifth week. Well, you're in Arizona, so it's like yes. hot as 
craziness there. Right. And uh, yeah, so that's a little bit insane. But I'll tell you what. So you, I'm going. I'm going to be on a local news program tomorrow. That I've, a WGAL. If you guys are listening, I'm going to be on tomorrow talking to Eve. Last year at this time, we talked about you know back to school, how to ease into back to school. This year, we're going to be talking about how to prevent back to school freakout because some students, some schools aren't even back yet. Some schools are still using their heads and going back after Labor Day, like we should. I remember that when I lived in New York. Right? That's how you knew summer was over. It was Labor Day, and school started the next day. It was like you had off Monday, you went back Tuesday, and that's how it worked, and that's how it's supposed to work, doggone it. But anyway, my kids, uh, you know, some schools aren't started yet, so we're going to talk about preventing back to school freakout, and then we're also going to talk about how – how to handle the kids that went to school and now hate it and don't ever want to go back. Oh, right. Because some kids don't have the best first day at school. So, you know, but anyhow, we're going to be talking about that with Eve on WGAL tomorrow. So if you guys want to tune in, but here's some stuff that's been going on because now we've transitioned from crazy parenting stories on the internet to crazy school stories on the internet. And we all knew that this was going to happen, right? Right, right. Because this is this is how the progression of things go. Once you lose permanent care of your children and hand it back into the hands of the teachers, now we have to complain about what the teachers are doing and, and, and defend our children to the hilt. And the reason I say it like that is because this is one story that it just blew up on my page on Parent Nation last week. And um, if you're not part of the conversation, you need to be because it's it's good conversations over there. But the teenager who said bless you to her friend in class. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then the webosphere got a hold of it and said that she was suspended for saying the words bless you. Here's the deal, people. I'm going to start a rule. I think I already tried to start it, but I'm really going to get there eventually. You've got to read the article before you can comment on it. This girl was not suspended for saying the words, bless you. She was suspended because the teacher had asked for quiet for, I don't know what they were doing. If they were taking a test, the teacher hasn't spoken about it yet, but the teacher had asked for quiet for one reason or another. And a student sneezed and this girl said, bless you. And the teacher said, who said that? And the girl said, I did. And the teacher said, why did you say that? And the girl said, because it was courteous. And the teacher said, who told you it was courteous? And the girl said, my pastor did. So then it got down the religious road. After that back and forth happened, that's where the religion part picked up. So Don't you you love it how she says to be quiet, but she has this whole side conversation? I I get it and I don't get it. Here's what I think, Kelly. I was that smart-ass teenager that pressed the buttons and pushed the envelope. I know it's hard to believe, considering (laughs) the woman that I've turned into. Mm -hmm. However, I was that button pusher. So, you know, I, I can see the teacher saying, when I, when I say quiet, I mean total quiet. And the student going, well, um, I can say bless you. That doesn't count because 
my parents told me that I have the freedom of speech. And see, that's the road the student went down. My pastor and my parents told me that I have freedom of speech and freedom of religion, and I can say that whenever I want. No, you can't, sweetie. This isn't a democracy. This is a school. You don't have those kind of rights. Sorry, you don't. So, you know, the girl was pushing the teacher's buttons because she knew that she could. And she got her butt in trouble. The teacher finally said, you know what, go to the office. You're suspended. I told you that you weren't supposed to talk. So this turned into, of course, a whole religious conversation. And I personally don't think that that's what it was. I think this was a student pushing a teacher that she didn't like in a direction that she knew it was going to go in so that she could make a point that she was dying to make. Mm -hmm. That's what I think about that. And then we have the student who was given, who was suspended because (laughs) he wrote a story. The teacher asked them to write blog posts, right? Right. And make up a story. So his story, in his story, he shot the neighbor's dinosaur. Mm-hmm. I saw that. Right. But because he talked about shooting the neighbor's dinosaur, the police were called. Mm-hmm. And the student was arrested. His parents weren't contacted, but the student was arrested. Now, I know a lot of people are going down the road of like, it's a fictional character. He was talking about a dinosaur. Okay, people, let's not get it twisted. He, they, they called the police because the kid was talking about a gun and saying that he needed to buy a gun to take care of business. Yeah. That, that, that part I get. This kid was, first of all, he was a 16-year-old and a freshman in high school. So something's not working out Whoa. there mathematically anyway. Right? Okay. So there's something special going on with this kid to begin with. But the fact is they didn't call his parents. They just had him arrested. And they said that the police officer continued with the arrest or made the arrest because the kid wasn't compliant. Well, no shit. You got a 16-year-old kid who did an assignment that he was asked to do, albeit, you know, maybe a little off color for what the school wanted. But you call the police on him? My kid would go crazy, too. People just, oh, my gosh, I think we're going a little bit nuts in the way we're handling kids today. I, we're, we say that it's the hardest job on the planet, but we're making it that way. Don't you think? <laughs> yes. We really are. Don't you think we're overthinking this stuff, Kelly? I do. I do. The schools, yeah. I don't know. I worked in the school system, so I kind of see both sides. But I think they overreact sometimes. Do you think that maybe they could have sent the kid down to the principal's office, met with the guidance counselor, and said, do you understand why we're concerned? Right. Do you that think should that have been first step. Sure. Especially with a 16-year-old, right? Right. You know, if you're talking about a 5-year-old, maybe you got to finesse some wording a little bit, make it a little more cheerful and understandable, dumb it down a little bit. Pardon me for saying that, but that's how I talk. But you're talking to a 16-year-old kid. You've got to be able to look at him and say, buddy, I know that you see what's going on in schools, and I know that you understand why we're a little bit gun-shy, pardon the pun. You can't be doing stuff like that. Do you understand that? That's the way you can talk to kids. You, you don't call, automatically call the police on them. And now kids are totally afraid of the police anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, the, 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 the whole tragedy in Ferguson 
the whole, you know, misunderstandings and everything else. There's there's so much muddying of the intellectual waters going on there right now. Nobody knows what's right. Nobody knows what really happened. Nobody knows what's true. But I can tell you this parent nation, it affects it's affecting the trust that all children have for police officers. I get that that children and people of color are more involved in these horrible situations and they're profiled and it's and and you're dealing with a struggle that we don't all get and I know that but please parent nation understand that when we have these conversations in front of our children our children don't see color the same way we do they simply don't but they do understand when they see police officers attacking people and when we talk about police officers shooting unarmed kids they don't hear the part where we talk about our skin color. They hear the part where we talk about not being able to trust police. We have to be so careful in these conversations. It's so scary. You know, somebody put up a video yesterday. A, a mom told her little boy that she was going to call the police on him for stealing a cup, a soda from the restaurant. Did you see that? No, I didn't see that one. Uh, apparently it's older, but... This mom is in her car, driving her car, talking to her kid and videoing it all at the same time. Who's setting the worst example there, mom? But that aside, here's a little boy of color, very well-dressed. You know, he, he had, you know, you can tell that this is a really good kid. And he took a cup from the restaurant they were in. What kid doesn't get to keep their kid cup from the restaurant they go to, Right. So the mom plays a trick on the kid and tells him that she's going to call the police on him for stealing the cup because he stole. This kid is flipping out in this video, Kelly, and he's saying things like, please don't call the police. I'm your son. I'm your child. Please don't do this. And people are laughing about this, Kelly. Mm. You know what, folks? It's not funny. It's not funny because these you're you're making your child afraid of the police. And then when things like Ferguson blow up. They really, really, really blow up. We have to think. They're not adults. They're little people that are thinking with their, with their, you know, lizard brain, with their amygdala, you know, flight or fight. They're not logically thinking through the things that we're telling them. They're just getting scared. So for the sake of all of our kids, geez, make these conversations a little more productive when it comes to kids. And, you know, that brings me to another thing that's been driving me nuts. Shaming videos, parents shaming their kids in videos. How do you Mm. feel about that? I I don't like it at all. So did you see the one where the dad shreds the kids' video games with the the lawnmower? Yes. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So we all want to laugh at that. Here's the thing. Clearly staged. It's clearly staged. Oh, yeah. It's got to be because I know my son would be he would throw himself as a human sacrifice onto the pile of video games and challenge us to mow over him. (laughs) Seriously. So but let's assume for a moment that this isn't staged. The kid in the video acts very, very much like a kid on the spectrum. In the way he reacts to the video games, you can hear him saying things like I'm really good at it. You know, his dad's like, get a job. I'm shredding your videos. I'm shredding your your video games. Here's the thing. It 
It's kind of similar to the situation where the mom called the police recently on her daughter who sent nude video or nude pictures to her boyfriend. Right. It's too little too late, folks. You let them get away with this behavior or you ignore the behavior completely, not even letting them get away with it, but you just don't even know it's happening because you pay so little attention to your kid. And then in a moment of completely heated anger, we do something ridiculous to teach them a lesson. Whatever happened to teaching your kids a lesson along the way? Whatever happened to paying attention to your kids throughout their childhood so that these things don't happen? You know, that kid probably, if, if that was a real video, that kid had 150 games on that pile. He didn't have a job, so he didn't buy them. Right. So who's at fault? And then you're going to have the audacity to torture him and... The person who videoed it was acting as if they were a sibling. You're going to allow your, sib your child's siblings to treat them that way and talk to them that way and do nothing about it and then think that doing something that horrific to them is going to change their behavior and their attitude towards you. That girl that had the police called on her, she was under 18 sending nude pictures. Do you know that qualifies her as a sexual offender? Mm. Did yeah. you do you realize that even though it was her that's still considered child pornography. So if she if if the police chose to prosecute her or or chose to charge her which they didn't even the police thought better of that one she would never be able to work with or around children for the rest of her life because her parents chose to ignore her for the first 16 years of her life. If not her completely, at least her behavior online. If you don't know what your kids are doing online, then you have no business allowing them to have the devices that get them online. Right. That's my opinion about that. So we talked about all the news. And now when we come back from our break, we're going to talk to my first guest who uh, his name is Dave Moore. And he wrote an amazing book called The Father's Love. And I read it. It's a really great read. It's a short read. It's a powerful book about his son who goes off to college and then one day decides to run away from home and uh, the anguish that their family goes through trying to figure out why and how to get him back when we come back from this break. Which is why Tara's taking a cocktail break and we're taking care of business with a word from these sponsors. Welcome to The Quip with Miriam Nicole Huffman, a modern woman's guide to styling her faith, family, and finances. The online radio show dedicated to today's positive, purpose-driven woman who's ready to heal her heart, her head, and her household by realigning with what she values most. If your highest values are faith, family, finances, and freedom, you're in the right place. Host Miriam Nicole Huffman is a woman on a mission. Her mess to success journey has taken her from life as an upper-middle-class stay-at-home mom to a broke single mom to living a life of joy and wholeness as 
as she builds a thriving business while raising her healthy, happy family. Every week on The Quip, Miriam Nicole shares her love, life, legal, and lifestyle success secrets. Whether it's wisdom you're seeking, inspiration and motivation from someone who's hit rock bottom and risen to success, or you want to know how to fully align your faith, family, and finances to create more freedom for yourself, you're in excellent hands with Miriam Nicole. Check out past shows by clicking on the podcast player to the right, or check our recent guests in the blog below. Got a question for Miriam Nicole? Want to be a guest on her show? Email us at thequip at miriamnicolehuffman.com. And join us every Thursday at 2 p.m. Central Standard Time, only here on the WooHoo Radio Network. Spark Your Soul Radio with Ann Phyllis. Perspectives with purpose, insights with heart. The WooHoo Radio Network show for spiritual seekers and fire starters who are ready to stop feeling lost, alone, confused, or blocked and start tuning into your soul speak so you can ignite all areas of your world from your work to your relationships, lifestyle to legacy. Host Ann Phyllis is a spiritual analyst, fire starter, energy alchemist, and soul truth clairvoyant. Using the heart and purpose-based principles of her signature Soul Sense system, Anne offers weekly wisdom for tuning in, letting go, unlocking, and unblocking. If you've been walking through life with excess baggage, a heavy heart, a feeling of disconnection from your inner life, consider Anne your guide to spark your soul journey and reignite your relationships, life, purpose, work, and spiritual consciousness. Every week on Spark Your Soul Radio, Anne takes you on a journey into the heart of your soul sense. There, she helps translate your energy, essence, and soul truth knowing into positive action and change. From this space of personal awakening and transformation, you're able to reignite your spirit, spark your soul, and live in alignment with your vision and values. Ready to spark your soul? Check out past shows by clicking on the podcast player. Got a question for Anne? Want to be a guest on her show? Visit sparkyoursoul.me and listen to Anne every Thursday at 6 p.m. Central Standard Time, only here on the WooHoo Radio Network. Welcome back to Parent Nation with Tara Kennedy Klein, the Internet's top talk radio show featuring real talk for real parents. Clean my house? <laughs> it's time to clean their house. You know what it means if my house is clean? I have big closets and a broken computer. Shaken and stirred up with a twist from America's family advocate, Tara Kenneth Klein. And now, back to the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. I am really excited about our first guest, David Moore. Uh, he's a chaplain, and he is the author of the book called The Father's Love. And it's, you know, I don't typically read the entirety of the books that uh, come to me from our guests because, well, I have a hard time reading my horoscope. So <laughs> so reading a whole book is just like, it's not in my, it, you know, it's not something I'm really good at. But this book is a very quick read. And it's, it's one of those books that you can't put it down. It's um, about his son, David, who after graduating from high school and going off to college has decided to run away from home and, um, and his parents David searched for him or, you know, it's, or 
and his search for and finding of God and spirituality in the process, which for me is the most beautiful result ever. I mean, they do no spoilers. I'm not going to tell you the end. You have to read it. But anyway, David, hi. Are you there? (laughs) Yes, I'm here, Tara. How are you today? I'm great. I'm great. I love this book. It's I'm I don't come off as a very spiritual person or a very faithful person because people assume my beliefs based on the way that I speak. Mm-hmm. However, uh, I truly am. And it's not something that I've had since childhood. I was raised in a very Catholic home. Um, you know, my grandmother took me to church and, you know, did all of that stuff that that a good little Catholic girl is supposed to do. But the faith wasn't there. Mm-hmm. Right? The understanding was there, but the faith wasn't there. And I love how you talk about with your wife in the beginning of your relationship, you had to ask her father for permission to marry her. And he said, only if you take her back to church. And for 11 mm-hmm. years, you completely craft, craftily avoided that. Yeah, and well, that's who I was at that point in my life. I was someone that, um, you know, wasn't worried about telling a lie. It, it didn't bother me to do that it, as long as it, it, you know, got my, got me to where I wanted to go. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, when he asked me if I'd get his daughter, Dorinda, back in church, uh, I just agreed to that and um, with never really the the mindset of actually doing it. Wow. And and it sounds so consistent with so many of my friends and and people that I know. You know, we can find a thousand excuses why we shouldn't go to church, but when Mm -hmm. something goes wrong, we're the first ones to get down on our knees, right? Mm -hmm. So, (laughs) when your when your son left, he left you a letter, Mm -hmm. and that letter struck me so hard because he was completely taking accountability for his leaving and he he basically begged you not to blame yourself but as parents we know that's impossible to do so yeah and go ahead i'm sorry no i i i just wanted to get your first hand account through your voice because i've read it but i've like i'd love to hear from you you know that experience and what that did well we were uh you know it was early december and we were planning christmas um you know, my son was in college, and um, I mean, he had a campus job. He had a, a Mustang. He had a girlfriend, and we just thought everything was right with the world. And um, and then to come home on a Friday afternoon, and a few hours after I came home, my wife came home, and when she went to replace a yearbook on my son's uh, into his room, it was on our computer stand. She found the letter, and it was laying on his bed, and uh, it was just you know, a total shock to us that, you know, he's flunking out of college. He he came face us with this failure, and his car would be parked at the Greyhound bus station in Ann Arbor, Michigan, which was around a 20-minute drive from where we were at. And so to, you know, to this shock, I mean, and I've always been a pessimist, so uh, initially I'm thinking the worst. Um, You know, if he's desperate enough to, to leave home on a bus with really we knew he had no money, uh, is he desperate enough to harm himself? And even though, yeah, he was a freshman in college at 18, he was a young 18. He'd been sheltered, you know, never been away from home. So I, I'm fearing the worst right from the start. And it was just a it was a terrible moment. And his letter, I can honestly tell you as a mom, his letter would have indicated those same things for me because of the wording that he used. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he was very hard on himself. 
Mm-hmm. And the thing that struck me about the letter was that our children are acutely aware of so much more than we give them credit for. That's so true. You know, yes, like they, I, I, they really do hear us and they really do respect us and they really do want us to be proud of them. Yeah, and, and on top of that, I think um, something that we, uh, and, I, you know, I don't point the finger at everybody, but I'm just pointing it at myself. I, I don't think that I, at that point in our relationship, I, that I was a good listener. Um, you know, it was, I was a, a my way or the highway type of parent. You know, if I say it, you do it. Uh, and so, you know, I think that the, one of the biggest problems in our relationship was I didn't re- really listen. I might have I might have heard what he was saying, but did I really hear what he was saying? And so I think that I had kind of blocked that line of communication off. So you didn't give him an opportunity. You didn't set up the environment or the atmosphere that he felt that he could come to you with these things. Absolutely. Wow. That's a a pretty harsh reality to get after the fact. Yes, it is. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I was, I was just, it was, it was, to me, it was all my fault. I mean, yeah, there was some anger that he was, he had just took off like that. But, you know, I, I was pointing it more inward. Um, I mean, immediately my, my heart was pounding. Um, you know, my chest was hurting. Uh, my head was throbbing. And, I mean, I, I'm rushing to the bus station to try to get there in time. And, I mean, I'm running stoplights and stop signs and uh, just in a panic you know, because I know that I knew at the time, and I mean, I even know it better now. There was a, there's a there's a high rate of of uh, suicide in freshmen in college, and so mm-hmm. I was just afraid that you know he had gone into this place in his mind that you know there was there was no no other alternative but just to go, and, yeah. and it was a terrible thing. It's kind of weird because some of the words that he used, he describes himself as stupid and lazy. And uh-huh. at one point he says, I can't bear to see your reaction to my screw up. I would rather brave this tough world alone than feel like I've left you down or failed you. Yeah. How many parents, if they knew that those words were going through their children's heads, would change to your point the way they actually listen to what their kids are saying? Oh, yeah, I think all of them. Um, wow. You know, we, we love our kids, you know, more than more than our own life. And mm-hmm. I think that, uh, you know, we yes, I think by by, you know, you have to do good in college. You have to excel. I think, you know, we're in our mind, we're saying the right things. We need we want them to understand how important it is. But, you know, we can't keep that type of pressure on them, too. And, and you know, not understand that that could that can make them crack. And my son was a straight-A student all the way through school. I mean, every teacher he ever had in, from grade school through high school said he was one of the smartest kids they've ever seen. And for him, but, and for him to go to college, you know, everything had come so easy in high school. Well, he got behind in his classes in college, and when he did, he found out he couldn't catch up. And so for him, you know, this had never happened before. And it just it shocked him that, you know, he was behind, he was going to flunk his classes, and he just didn't know how to tell me. Yeah, he saw so it he as ran. unrecoverable. Yeah, that's amazing. Wow. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. when you when you went on this search for him, when tell us about what you actually found when you found him. Well, initially I had no clue to where he went. When when we got to the bus station, it was closed, uh, and we mm-hmm. found his car. And so we had no idea where the bus was headed. We tried to uh, contact the National Greyhound number with no, with no results. 
Um, so we just started calling all of his friends and, and everything we could think to do. And we initially, we talked to his girlfriend, and she said he had mentioned the city of Dayton, Ohio, which was around a three-and-a-half-hour drive from where we live. So, you know, my thinking is, okay, I just have to go to Dayton. So I headed to Dayton. Uh, and when I got to Dayton, I would eventually talk to the Greyhound there the next morning and find out that he had purchased a ticket to Atlanta, Georgia. So now I'm eight hours from Atlanta, Georgia, um, having been up now for two days, no sleep, no food, no water. Uh, you know, like I said earlier, a pessimist. So I'm thinking the worst in everything. I'm literally just falling apart. And so for me, um, you know, I just, I just knew. I mean, I'd always been able to fix things in my life. Uh, uh, no relationship with God, but, you know, in myself, you know, strong guy, tough guy, I can handle this, I can fix this. Uh, but I was beginning to start to think that maybe I couldn't fix this. So it was, it was just, uh, you know, a lot of terrible things were coming to, coming to my mind that, you know, I wasn't able to handle it. And what... What what is what actually got you through it? Um, you know, I think um, my father-in-law was a national evangelist. Uh, my two of my brother-in-laws were pastors, um, and I would find out during my search, uh, actually while I was in Atlanta, that there was a prayer chain going. Uh, across the whole country, uh, they had contacted people, and churches were praying. And this would continue to go across the country, where the whole churches and people across the whole country were praying. Uh, I didn't even understand at that point in my life what a prayer chain was. Uh, but uh, along the way, people prayed with me. A man prayed with me in a restaurant. Uh, he overheard my conversation with the police, and he prayed with me. Another man prayed with me in a homeless shelter down in Atlanta. And I think that. Um, I think that the prayers of my family, the prayers of those that didn't even know me, uh, people crying out to God to, to move mountains, uh, to help me find my son and for my son to come home safely, uh, without realizing it, uh, I was receiving strength from that. Yeah. Knowing that people are supporting you mm -hmm. and people that don't know you that by society standards shouldn't care. Right. <laughs> yeah, and amazing. even even the homeless, uh, you know, helping me in Dayton and trying to give them money because I took a big, huge wad of money with me and, you know, trying to give them money and they wouldn't even take any, but they just wanted to help me, and which was which was kind of shocking and it still is to this day that in their terrible situation of being homeless, uh, that all they wanted to do was help me. It was amazing. It is. Um, it it's it is truly shocking that. When you think about the people who need the most are the the ones who understand and are willing mm -hmm. to give the most. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you've seen the videos of the people asking for, you know, affluent people in restaurants walking in as if they're hungry and saying, can I have a slice of that pizza? Or I'm hungry, can you help me? And they're getting no, 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 no. And mm -hmm. then later on in the video, they deliver a pizza to a homeless person, and the same guy walks up and says, hey, buddy, I'm hungry. Can I have a slice of pizza? And the homeless person's like, absolutely. Here, yeah, you want half of it? Yeah, isn't that something? Mm. You know? It's, and so it's true. so true. When we understand what it's like to need help, we're willing mm -hmm. to give it. Mm -hmm. So, and, But I think the thing that was amazing about the story is that you didn't realize – this promise that you made 11 years ago to your wife's father to get her back into the church and all of your attempts to not have to do it, your son's uh, desire 
for spirituality is what actually drove him. From what yeah, I understood. Yeah, I, I mean, it was, um, there comes a point, I think, in our lives when, um, when we, we're desperate, when we have desperate situations. And um, I think, like I said earlier, I'm the, I'm the type of person that, you know, always felt like I could handle everything. But in this sense, I came to a place where I, I, couldn't, I couldn't do it. I mean, it, it had, I'd done everything I could do. I had no clue to my son's whereabouts. This was days later. And, uh, and so finally I just came to that place where um, I needed help. And so I cried out to God. And God helped me. God, God gave me a miracle. He sure did. So in the last two minutes of our time together, David, tell us how this changed you. Well, um, it was just like, uh, you know, walk, from walking in the dark to walking in the light. It's, uh, uh, it's amazing when, you know, when you realize, I mean, I always believed in God. But it's amazing to come to a place where you know there's a God. Not that you disbelieve anymore, but you know positively, you know, that there is a God. And it's like a light going off, and everything is just uh, visible to you now. And and so it completely changed me. Uh, I was a person that, you know, I was an angry person. I, I was a fighter. Uh, I was a drinker. I was a drunk. I mean, I, I was in trouble at work with guys that I wanted to, you know, fight with. Uh, but from that, but but the day that the, the day that God gave me this miracle, I went back to work and apologized to four guys that literally I wanted to you know beat beat half to death. I hated them so bad, right. so it changed me in that way. Uh, I, it turned me into I, I became a chaplain after a few years and uh, go to hospitals and jails and pray with the lost, play with the, pray with the sick. Um, God just completely changed my heart. And it literally changed my whole family. You know, my wife came back to church, uh, which she was raised in. Uh, my son became a pastor. So, I mean, it was just, uh, it was completely life-changing uh, what God had done. That's amazing. Thank you so much, David, for sharing your story. And check out his book, The Father's Love, as soon as you get a chance. We'll be right back after this break. Welcome to The Quip with Miriam Nicole Huffman, a modern woman's guide to styling her faith, family, and finances. The online radio show dedicated to today's positive, purpose-driven woman who's ready to heal her heart, her head, and her household by realigning with what she values most. If your highest values are faith, family, finances, and freedom, you're in the right place. Host Miriam Nicole Huffman is a woman on a mission. Her mess to success journey has taken her from life as an upper-middle-class stay-at-home mom to a broke single mom to living a life of joy and wholeness as she builds a thriving business while raising her healthy, happy family. Every week on The Quip, Miriam Nicole shares her love, life, legal, and lifestyle success secrets. Whether it's wisdom you're seeking, inspiration and motivation from someone who's hit rock bottom and risen to success, or you want to know how to fully align your faith, family, and finances to create more freedom for yourself, you're an Excellent hands with Miriam Nicole. Check out past shows by clicking on the podcast player to the right or check our recent guests in the blog below. Got a question for Miriam Nicole? Want to be a guest on her show? Email us at thequip at miriamnicolehuffman.com. And join us every Thursday at 2 p.m. Central Standard Time, only here on the Woohoo Radio Network. 
Are you looking for something more in your life or business? More success? More stability? More happiness? It's all out there waiting for you, but it doesn't just happen. You've got to go get it. Make it happen with Michelle McCullough, where motivation and strategy intersect. Michelle is a serial entrepreneur, acclaimed speaker, and the WooHoo Radio Network's resident business and success strategist. Michelle has the smarts, strategies, and experience to help you improve your life and take your business to the next level. You've got big dreams. You've got big vision. Now it's time for you to make it happen. Welcome back to Parent Nation with Tara Kennedy Klein, the Internet's top talk radio show featuring real talk for real parents. Clean my house? (laughs) It's time to clean their house. You know what it means if my house is clean? I have big closets and a broken computer. Shaken and stirred up with a twist from America's family advocate, Tara Kennedy Klein. And now... Back to the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. That was such an awesome conversation with David Moore, and I really do hope you all check out his book. It's, it's an awesome read. My next guest is Christy Monson, and she is the author of a book that I really enjoyed also called Family Talk. And it's about organizing family meetings to solve problems and strengthen relationships. And you know, you know how I feel about family meetings and conversation and listening to kids and listening to each other and, you know, using that family time, not on our devices, but actually communicating and talking and solving problems with each other. So I'm so excited to have Christy on the show. Hey, Christy, how are you? I'm just great. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Absolutely. So you have a a bachelor's degree in child development and psychology. You've been married for 50 years. You've raised six kids. You know what you're doing. I've been around the block a few times. (laughs) (laughs) Did you have meetings with your kids? We did. And you know what? It was a life-changing experience for me. It was like my life lit up. It became organized. I just, we, we turned chaos into Uh, really smooth communications. It just made a huge difference for us. So I have to ask you, because, you know, Parent Nation is on a perfection kick. You say that it turned chaos into better things. So it was chaotic before it was better. It was terrible. Awesome. (laughs) So when... When when did you realize, when did you get the idea? Like, how old about were your kids when you started having these meetings? Oh, they were, the youngest one was, was still a baby. She was maybe two or so, that's so many years ago. Uh, and the oldest one was probably 10 or 12. That's and cool. I, I wish that I would have started them earlier. I mean, it worked out perfect. It's worked out great. But, but you really can start when your kids are just little. I really advocate that. You do. You tell a story um, in one of the chapters about a two-year-old boy. It, it's about giving kids too much control, which, you know, we have become really polarized in Parent Nation. We're either giving them all the control in the universe or we're like these complete drill sergeants and we don't want them to have any choices or any control because we have to monitor everything they're doing so they don't get hurt. So... You talk about this little boy who was about two years old who was who had a cold, a sore throat, 
and at two o'clock in the morning gets up and wants medicine. So they give him medicine and then he decides he wants to watch a movie. So dad gives in and mom's like, you know, heck with this. I'm going to bed. And then the kid decides he wants to play a game and read a book. And the next thing you know, it's like five, six o'clock in the morning and the kid's finally going to sleep. And mom has to get up and go to work or dad has to get up and go to work. And he's exhausted. So now everybody's miserable. And the fact of the matter is they should have just put their foot down in the beginning and said to the two-year-old, you know what, you're going to bed, but there's a few choices that you do have. Staying up is not one of them. Perfect. And I, I, love, I love that you are giving two-year-olds choices, but I also love that you're taking something that makes us so mushy, like our kids being sick and needing us, and saying, I get it, and you still got to put your foot down. And I, I found this, you know, in my counseling practice, I dealt with a lot of this. And, and I found that people that were giving all of the choices to kids were, were people that had um, been, had not had a good upbringing or had grown up on the streets or had been raised by alcoholic families. So their needs had not been met. So then they swing clear back to the pendulum, swing clear to the other side where they feel like they've got to give the kid everything. And we really do have to draw it back where, where you have boundaries. Oh, definitely. And my kids are still fighting my boundaries and they're 15 and 13. I think they're getting into a new level of boundary pushing now, though, which is why I love I love this whole meeting concept. So what what is the strategy? Like, how can if we've waited a decade like you did, if we've waited 10 years to start something like this and we want to start it now, how do we do that? Well, uh, the thing that I think was most um, most important that we did with our family is you need to be sure that the relationships are strong because relationships without or if you have rules without relationships, then you're not going to get any place. You have to have the relationship first. So if families don't feel like they're very close, it's important that you play softball together, you do a, play soccer together, you go swimming together, you read stories together, you play games together. So you begin to build a relationship. And then I think you establish a time when you're going to hold these meetings and let everybody have part, have a say in this. And, and you can try two or three times, even if the kids ask um, for some different times, try them. And, but if you know the kids want the meeting at 830 at night, that's too late at night and they've got to go to bed and they'll be too tired. Mm -hmm. But you can try it if you want to, to give the kids that choice. But then come back to a time that's really going to work for everybody. And then I love the concept of giving compliments all around. I'm a big advocate of positive energy. And it was really difficult for our children at first to give positive feedback to everybody because they're used to saying dummy and stupid and all the things that they do say that they learn at school. So, mm -hmm. so yeah, see, they learn at school. <laughs> they do. <laughs> on the recess and on the playground. And, and that isn't fair because there are a lot of teachers that, that are advocates of positive energy also, but they just do as they interact with kids. So, I, positive energy is important, and then you put an agenda on the fridge. And I don't know if you read when we first started the agenda on the fridge. This was the funniest thing you ever read, and you, and you read the, the example. Mm -hmm. Our kids started, and they had so many things to put on the agenda that pretty soon they were fighting over the agenda, and it got ripped into. And so it took us a while in order to, to settle it down, because when you give kids this, this extra amount of freedom, sometimes it will turn into chaos and get worse before it gets better. 
So then we just we set the agenda up, and everybody that had a problem would list their name on the agenda. And so then we'd just go around with the agenda and say, Susie, um, I see that you have a problem with taking the garbage out. Have you solved that problem, or would you like to discuss it? And then they would either discuss it or say they'd solved the problem, and, and on we went. I love that. First of all, it's like any board meeting or council meeting or anything that you've ever gone to, you have to you have to have a reason to bring up a problem. And you know what I mean? Like it's not just you're not just going to take your turn to speak and stand up and just complain about everybody and everything and go off on a tangent. If you have something to say, put it down so that we stay on task. I love that. And I also love that you ask the question, have you solved that or do you need help with it? Because as parents, what, what's the first thing that we want to do? Oh, you have a problem taking out the trash? Well, I'll tell you how to solve that problem. <laughs> you know, we want to take all of their power away and expect them to still be in an attitude, have an attitude of servitude. The meta message of family councils is we're giving to the child is you're valuable, you're important, you can solve your problems. We just give them such wonderful self-esteem if we do this because we say to them with our meta message, well, you've got some good ideas. Give me a, give me your solutions here. How are we going to brainstorm this? What are your ideas? That's so important for kids. You know, it's funny that you say that because one of the most empowering moments I ever had with my 13-year-old, my 13-year-old son has Asperger's, and he came to me recently. We were on a bus trip, actually, so we had a lot of time to talk to each other because he didn't have Wi-Fi access. And <laughs> he said, <laughs> he, he told me that he was concerned with going to college. He doesn't think he needs to because he doesn't see himself ever being able to have a job. So when we got home, and you know that cut me to the quick, right? As mom, knowing how brilliant he is, I'm like, no, no, I want to rescue him right away in this negative thought process. And so we talked about some different things he could do. And when we got home, I needed to put together some videos. And I said, you know what, buddy? I don't know what I'm doing, but you do. You know how to edit these videos. I'll pay you. And he was like, you'll what? You'll pay me to make videos? That's so easy. It is for you because you're brilliant at it. And that started again, the conversation about what you can do to make money. And just highlighting, so often we wanna go right to the negative of what our kids are doing these days. But being able to highlight the things that they're brilliant at is going to empower them to do more of that good stuff. And open up their vision to see what they really can do out there because his vision was narrowed and you just opened up his vistas on that. I love that. I wish we could do more of that. And we can with having meetings. So one of the things that you talk about that I'm curious about is you go, you do a whole thing about democracies. And one of the things that, well, actually two of the things that I really liked that you said was the person whose behavior is the most deviant has the most power. And the person who wants the relationship the least has the most power. How does that relate to our kids? Well, sometimes, like with a kid that's got too much power, if he says to you, oh, I'm not going to do that, well, I'm not going to be here, I don't want this, I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't, and the parent is bending over backwards to try to, to please him, then you see the child has got too much power, so we just have to say, okay, you just spend a little time in your room, 
and when you're ready to come out and deal with the problem, we're here, we'll ha be happy to. So you're not just chasing after the kid and begging him. Um, that's one of the ways we do that with children. There's a lot of ways we do that with adults also. At, and, but then the other thing is when the behavior is deviant, and many times that's either bullying or temper tantrums. Mm -hmm. And I've got a couple of uh, um, little articles people can copy off of my website on bullying and temper tantrums. But okay. I think I think we have to we have to set a boundary for kids and give them a timeout. And I, I deal with the bullying and the temper tantrums. There there are articles on this in in the book. Mm -hmm. But a child that has is having a temper tantrum, you have to look for the unmet needs underneath that. And maybe they're too tired, maybe they're too hungry, maybe they uh, are, are lonely and needing some attention because a lot of times kids fight for attention. So you want to address those needs first, those unmet needs. And then a lot of times the temper tantrums will melt away. I, I so agree with that, and I so see that happening. I deal with a lot of parents that want the immediate quick result. So, of course, they're going to say, you know, oh, I, I'll tell you how to stop that temper tantrum the same way my mother stopped it, you know, with a paddle or whatever. And my thought is you're, you're threatening them, you're scaring them into stopping the behavior, but you're not solving the problem. And the thing that I love about these meetings, and you said you can start them when they're little, is it solves two things. It opens up communication and builds relationship, but it allows them to get the attention that they need so that they're not feeling like they need to throw a temper tantrum or they're not feeling like they need to get into the drama of fighting with you to get your attention because they know they're going to have it. So how do we, how do you set up or how do you hold a meeting with a, with a toddler? Well, I think that's very cute. And I've got a little example in the book. And, and of course, they can't be a formal meeting when the kids are that little. You can hold them with a toddler with older children in the family because the kid, the toddler will stay with you. But, but it's difficult. You have to have a kind of an informal meeting. Um, the, the example I use in the book is of a, uh, grandma comes to stay with a little boy and, and mom is in the hospital having a baby. And so grandma's trying to do whatever the routine is and she doesn't really know what the routine is. So uh, she gets up and fixes the little boy pancakes and he tells her that is the wrong thing to fix for breakfast. It needs to be oatmeal. And so, so here's this little informal meeting happening where the little kid is telling grandma, this is, this is my routine, this is what I do. So then grandma wises up and says, okay, well, what else do you do? For your morning how does your mom organize the morning and 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 so he tells her what the things exactly that they do and they have a fun morning together until dad comes home and with pictures of the baby so there's there's an informal example of what we do another thing we might do is is an informal meeting is if the kids room is messy and and you go in and say we need to clean this up before you go to bed tonight you can have any kinds of fun games, a grasshopper can pick them up or the frog can pick them up or whatever, but you're having an informal interchange with a child that you can really consider a meeting. You're solving a problem and both of you are having fun at it. And it's so much like an argument, but you don't have to be right. <laughs> you know, I, a parent nation is pretty big and pretty vocal. And one of the conversations that we had was with a dad who, um, Peter, I'm going to call you out. Um, he was having an argument with his five-year-old because his five-year-old 
wanted um, a chocolate chip in his pancake. And Peter was like, I showed him the batter that there was chocolate chips in the batter, but he still kept throwing a fit. And I'm like, um, Peter, if you showed me that the batter had chocolate chips in it and there wasn't one in my pancake, I'd be even more mad. So, you know, there's a perfect opportunity to be able to have a conversation and say, okay, what would, what would have, what would make you happy right now? What would you like to see happen in this moment? It's a five-year-old kid. So I love the idea of these meetings. I love the idea of families sitting down and instead of arguing and debating and trying to be right, hearing each other and understanding everybody's needs and finding out, um, what would make everyone happy and what would make everyone willing to cooperate in these situations. And I think it would make family life so much easier. And to your point, you don't have to start them when they're babies because you started when they were 10. So, you know, you saw how chaos got better and that even made it more sweet. So I so appreciate you, Christy Monson, for being my guest today and definitely check out her book, Family Talk how to organize family meetings to solve problems and strengthen relationships. And you'll be able to find them on the Parent Nation Facebook page and the TogiNet radio page. Until next week, everybody, keep playing. Want more Real Talk for Real Parents? Seriously, Parent Nation, not every decision in parenting has to contain a hidden message or a life lesson. Sometimes it just has to pass mom's little barometer of, is this going to shut them up? Connect with Tara online at tarakennedykline.com. Until next time, remember this. Parent Nation, why do we keep calling this the hardest job on the planet? Why don't we just appreciate the gift that we're given and try calling it the